So we're walking through the 23rd Psalm, and I want to thank Dwayne for filling in for me last week. People have said, you know, where did you go on vacation? Well, I went to see my mother uh, in Kentucky, and um, we had things to do, and she always has jobs for us. It's always great, and uh, she feeds us wonderfully, and so that's where I was last week. I'm happy to be back, but we've been walking through the 23rd Psalm. All right, so let me read the first part of it, and then we'll get to our verse today. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And you have to understand, this is like a season in the life of a shepherd and his sheep. So, um, in, the, in, the, um, in the winter, you're in the lowlands, right? And so that's what he's talking about here. Uh, beside quiet waters, uh, he makes me lie down in green pastures. So there's a place to eat and rest, and it's in the lowlands. And then the next verse is... Um, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you're with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so you go from the lowlands to the highlands in the summer. And so there's this, you have to go through a valley to get from the lowlands to the highlands, which brings us to our text today, all right? And it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And the first part of this it sort of seems a little trash-talky to me, which I'm all about. I love the trash talk. Um, when I was a kid and could play basketball back in the day, I remember many, many times I would be playing somebody, and if I hit three or four shots in a row, I would back, you back up the court, you know, you kind of run backwards, and I would tell the other team, somebody ought to guard me. I, I, I love that stuff. So I'm all about the trash talk. And I was looking up some trash talking, and one of the best trash talkers of all time was Steve Spurrier. And um, so I have a couple of quotes of Spurrier's, um, which are just super funny. Um, Spurrier's team, and it, must, it was probably South Carolina, beat um, Kentucky 54-3 to one year. And they asked him how Kentucky was, and he said, well, they've got a heck of a punter, I can tell you that. So uh, um, they were about to play Tennessee, and he said, um, it'll be my 14th time coaching at Neyland Stadium. That's longer than most of their head coaches have coached there. So uh, that was uh, a good one. And then he gets Georgia. No offense to Georgia, but my Georgia people. Uh, he said, I sort of always like playing them the second game of the season because you can always count on two or three of their players being suspended. Uh, so, um, uh, But that's not what this text is about, so I just threw it out there because it's funny to me. So... There's a picture, he paints this picture with this 23rd Psalm. There's a reason people love it. It's because it gives you comfort and peace, and it's just an amazing psalm. But like I say, there's a process from going to the lowlands, to the highlands, and and next week we're going to talk about the return journey. And so the last verse is kind of coming back down the mountain. But when we walk through the valley of the shadow, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, there's a really good chance that in life you're going to have some scars and some tough times. And in relationships, the reason this text makes sense to people is because it, it feels real. And so for David to write this psalm about shepherding, well, he had been a shepherd, so he, he writes it from the perspective of a shepherd. And for him, he is writing this in his old age, and he has been king. And people think that being you're famous or, or having a high position, uh, people think that's a great thing. And I guess in some ways it is. But the higher up you go, the more responsibility you have and the more opportunities you have for people to let you down or for you to let people down. And in David's life, we see 
over and over again where he has these, these swings of people uh, disappointing him or swings of him doing something that disappoints lots of people. And, and so a couple of them that I, I began to think about, David was a young man and King Saul was the king of Israel and King Saul wasn't a good king. He wasn't good to people. He, he just wasn't good. He had a son named Jonathan. And King Saul wanted Jonathan to replace him as king when he retired or died. That's kind of how it worked. If you were the king and you had a son, your son would become king. And God had other ideas. And God anointed David to be the next king. And Saul didn't like that. And so Saul pursued David. And even though David was always loyal to Saul... Saul returned his loyalty with disloyalty. Not, I mean, not just disloyalty. He pursued him to kill him. And so, young man David has an experience. And the experience is, I am faithful to a man who is not faithful. And some of us have worked in places where we've been faithful to our employee, employer, I'm sorry, and we've, been, we've given our business, uh, given the business the best we've got, and what we've gotten for it is a pink slip or not a promotion when we should have gotten promotion. I mean, you, you feel this, and David feels this, and he understands what it's like to be loyal and to not be rewarded for his loyalty. But maybe the worst experience of this in David's life was with his son Absalom. He has this son, and David becomes king, and he wants one of his sons to uh, succeed him on the throne. And so Absalom talks about him in, in Scripture. He was handsome and ruddy, and he just had it all going on. He was, he was tall, dark, and handsome. And, you know, uh, women loved him, and men wanted to be him, and he was that guy. And, and he had flowing locks, and he was just, he was just a man's man. And... and Absalom did something incredibly despicable. He had uh, his his dad, who King David would would see people uh, during the day, and and people would uh, request an audience, and they would say, you know, I have a a legal matter I want to bring up to the king, and they would bring it up to the king, and and sometimes David found in favor of the pe- people that brought the uh, the issue, and sometimes he found against them. It just depended on the situation. But Absalom did something. It's it's just it's just it just feels really creepy. He would sit at the gate, and when the people would come out, he would ask how the how did it go with with my dad, the king, and they would say things like, "Well, it didn't go well." And Absalom would say, "I love my dad, but if I were king, I would do it this way. If I were king, I would give you what you want." And it says the Bible says he turned the hearts of the people against David. And it sounds, just to be honest with you, it sounds a lot like modern day politicians. What can I give you? I remember, I don't remember John F. Kennedy actually saying this, but I remember reading this in books where he said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And it seems like we've drifted so far away from that. And this is what Absalom did. He, he steals the hearts of the people away from the king by promising them things that probably he couldn't have delivered if he wanted to. And so David has experience with people not doing him right in relationships. And so today we're going to talk about, he sort of paints this picture of what it looks like to to deal with difficult relationships in this verse, in verse 5. But before we get there, let's talk about what not to do. Because there's, there's a way not to handle things. 
And relationships are our greatest source of blessing, but they're also our greatest source of stressing. And so what do we do when we're stressed out in relationships? Well, the first thing is, we just, you can't just ignore it. You can't just act like it's not there. You can't Clint Eastwood it and just say, oh, it's not there. You just can't do it. That's my Clint Eastwood impression. Um, I needed a little cigar. I didn't have it with me. But anyway... Uh, and so you can't, um, denial, by the way, is not just a river in Egypt. There are people who just deny stuff, and we act like it's not there, and it's just a, it's a fool, or we minimize it. We'll say, well, it wasn't that big a deal. Well, maybe it was a big deal. And then some people will just procrastinate. They know they need to address the issue, but they're going to kick the can down the road as far as they can. And, and you might be a procrastinator. Let me, let's, let's take a little quiz. If you go to the dentist tomorrow, and she tells you you need a root canal, do you get it that afternoon or in 2022? I mean, you, you get to choose because some of us want to kick stuff down the road as long as we can. And ignoring a hurt doesn't heal the hurt. And so I, I just can't ignore it and hope it goes away. Now, David again writes this, I remained utterly silent, my, but my anguish increased and my heart grew hot within me. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but you kind of stuff it and you stuff it and... It just gets worse and worse and worse. It's like having a wound that gets infected. It's just not going to get better that way. So we can't just ignore it. The second thing is we can't just run from it. And I don't know about you, but I've had fantasies. You know, there was a whole series of commercials for Southwest Airlines where somebody does something really stupid, and the tagline was, do you want to get away? Because there are times I've fantasized about, hey, I'm in the middle of this really difficult situation and I would like to just run away from it. And what's super cool, I'd never seen this verse. I never, well, I've seen it, I guess. But I, I couldn't remember ever reading this verse before. But look at these verses. David again writing this. I wish I had wings like a dove. Then I would fly away and rest. I would wander far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of escape far away from the wind and the storm. And I don't know about you, but I felt that way. There have been times where the issue was right in front of me and I didn't really want to deal with it. And like David, I just wished I could escape. There's a reason. You know, we talk about when you're confronted with things, there's fight or flight. There's a reason the doors in buildings like this go out, open out. Because most of the time we, we flee. We hit difficult times and most of the times we flee. And there's lots of ways to escape. People will escape into entertainment. And so they'll go watch movies or they'll binge watch some show. Or I mean, it's just, I want to be entertained so I don't feel the pain. Or we numb ourselves with alcohol or with drugs and, and we, we just don't want to feel it so we numb ourselves to it. The problem is, sometimes the entertainment's going to be over and sometime the numbing is going to be over, and then I'm still going to have the problem. If I, go, if I go home after church today, and I have a busted pipe, and there's water leaking all over my floor, I can run and go to Lowe's and act like I'm going to do something at Lowe's and get something, even though I don't know what the problem is. But when I come back home, I'm still going to have the problem. I might have an indoor pool, which is going to be cool, but I'm going to have an issue. And running from it isn't the answer. Now, this entire psalm is about, this is what it looks like to be a mature follower of God. If you're going to be mature, you have to deal with stuff. And running isn't dealing with stuff. Third thing you can't do, you can't ignore it or run from it, and you certainly shouldn't hide it. And a lot of times, 
We, we camouflage our things. We, we'll do stuff like um, retail therapy. We, we'll, we'll camouflage our pain and we'll go buy stuff. And stuff never really satisfies us. Again, look at what David said. When I kept things to myself, I felt weak deep inside. I moaned all day long. Rick Warren is a famous pastor and he wrote this. Revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing and it's clever, but it's also right. Here's the thing about difficulty. And if you're going through a difficult situation, you have to understand you're not the only one. And when I look across the room, I suspect some of us are dealing with difficulties. Here's what I know about life. There's sort of a there's a there's a cycle to life. There are ups and downs. And sometimes you're in an up season and everything's good, and sometimes you're in a bad season and everything feels like it's bad. And here's what I know. If I'm in an up season, there's probably a down season coming. And if I'm in a down season, there's probably an up season coming. There's a cyclical nature to life. And so if you're down, understand you're not the only one down. And if you're down, most of us have been down. If we're up now, we've been down. And if we're up now, we're probably going to go down eventually. And there's some... (laughs) What's that old expression? Misery loves company. There's some, there's some peace to be gained from understanding. Everybody kind of goes through stuff, so we don't uh, we, we don't ignore or run from or hide, and we certainly don't worry about stuff because worry is putting yourself in the place of God. If if I were God, I would do this or, well, that's above our pay grade, honestly. And Job, who had tons to worry about, said, um, "To worry yourself to death with resentment." would be a foolish, senseless thing to do, which brings me to resentment. Man, that's going fast. Don't ignore it, run from it, hide it, worry about it, or develop a sense of resentment. Well, look, look what Job says. You're only hurting yourself when you're angry. Okay, so somebody hurts me, all right? Somebody does me wrong. So David had people do him wrong. I talked about Saul a second ago. Saul did him wrong to the... David was was super loyal. I mean, really loyal. And Saul then tries to kill him, and David runs, and Saul pursues him. And there's this story in Scripture where Saul goes into a cave, and it just happens to be the cave that David and his men are hiding in. You might, may have read this. And Saul goes in there to uh, use the bathroom. That's kind of why he went in there. And so, while he's relieving himself... Now, I don't know how this exactly works, but anyway, uh, that's what it says in Scripture. While he's relieving himself, David sneaks up behind him and cuts off a corner of his robe. Uh, I'm going to go with creepy, but th- that's what happens, all right? Cuts off a little corner of his robe, and then, and then uh, Saul leaves the cave. Now, if it's me, I'm not saying nothing. I am saying nothing at this point. David goes to the mouth of the cave and says... Hey, Saul, homie, King homie, what's up? He said, King homie, it's in the Hebrew. Uh, King homie, what's up? And now, now you can imagine Saul. He had just been in that cave where David is standing at the mouth of that cave. And he walks out and he says, hey, King homie. And Saul looks at him and he says, is that you, David? Like, yeah. And here's a piece of your robe. And Saul says, you're much more honorable than me. And you would have thought that would have ended it, right? It's like, dude had a chance. If he could have cut off a piece of my robe, he could have have taken me out. It's not like 
Saul took an entourage in with him, or he wouldn't have been able to cut the robe. And Saul sort of asks forgiveness, and then he goes away to pursue him another day. (laughs) It's like, ugh. And so David knew what it was like to act the right way and not to get the result that you wanted. So when David writes this portion of the psalm, he's not writing it as theory. I think this is how it works. He's writing this as somebody who knows how things work. And so, what do you do when you get hurt? Well, he says, you prepare a table before me. He's talking about, I'm a sheep, and you, my shepherd, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The first thing that we do is we let Jesus handle it. Now, we read table as if it's a table. But really, what David was talking about was a table land. So remember, this whole story is a series of uh, the cycle of a year where I'm tending a sheep. So the the sheep start in the valley, and then they walk through the valley, and they go to the upper lands. In the summer, the shepherd would take his sheep from the lowlands to the highlands. The snows would dissipate. There would be green grass up there. That's where you wanted to feed your sheep uh, during the the summer because then you're going to bring them back down during the winter. And so you scout the land first. So a good shepherd would go scout the tablelands. In um, we lived in the southwest. We lived in New, New Mexico, and they would call these mesas, which is Spanish for table. And uh, we lived in Clovis, New Mexico. Um, it was flat as this table. I mean, the 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 terrain was flat. Although we were four thousand feet in elevation. I mean, forty two hundred. I think we were higher than any place in South Carolina. It's just it was flat. It was a tall plain. And so these shepherds, before they would bring their sheep, because you just didn't. You didn't wing it. Before you would bring your sheep to the tablelands, to the mesa, you would check out the mesa. And so he would go up there and he would make sure the grass was good. And he would make sure there were no poisonous plants because there were poisonous plants. And so if there were, he would dig them up and eradicate them. And if there were um, uh, predators, he would seek them out and try to drive them away. And, And David is painting this picture of a shepherd who takes care, who takes great care of his sheep. He, this shepherd, knows what's best for his sheep. And so at some point in your life, again, this is about being spiritually mature. If I truly believe that God can handle things, I have to let him handle things. And I have to give up resentment. And I have to give up unforgiveness. I have to to flush that. Because that doesn't help me. Look at this verse in Romans. You talk about hard to do. This This is mature talk. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And this does not make any money. You can't make a movie on these verses. In fact, I looked up the 100 greatest revenge movies 
uh, according to Ranker. Would anybody like to guess which, which are the best ones? Anybody? Best revenge movie. What, Doctor Who? What? Death Wish. Death Wish. <laughs> that is horrible. Um, that's a great revenge movie. Yeah, it's probably in the, but that wasn't, that wasn't one or two. Die Hard. Die Hard is the best revenge movie and the best Christmas movie. Uh, but, but it did not make the list. I don't know how it could not even make the list. Gladiator and Braveheart. And both, everybody, every man in here is going, mm-hmm. Uh, these are, I mean, it's like, freedom! We all love that, right? We love those movies. But we can't see, um, what was his name, Wallace? William Wallace? Can anybody picture William Wallace? Not repaying evil for evil? Can you think of William Wallace? Um, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, get... I can't see it. Can any of you... Uh, what was it? Maximus, Maximus Mamilius? Or what was his name? Who? Maximus. Um, Russell Crowe. Yes. Oh, who said that? Thank you. It's hard to picture... These people and this verse going together. Now, we like revenge. We like it. But maturity dictates this, that we understand that God knows who's hurt us. We, God knows. It's not like they did it in secret. <laughs> he knows. It's, it's not like God's not watching this. The beauty of this particular psalm is when it says, you prepare a table before me, it means that he is intimately knowledgeable about my life. He knows what's going on. He knows where he's going to lead me. He knows where I'm going. He knows. He knows the stuff that's happening. He knows the valley of the shadow of death because he is with us. And that's where we get our scars. And he knows. And he's not surprised. And he knows who hurts us. And you have to decide, do I want to get even or do I want to get well? Because you can't really do both. Do I want to get even or do I want to get better? Because you probably aren't going to be able to do both. And maturity dictates that I'm able to release people of hurting me. Now, to forgive them doesn't mean I just forget about it. In fact, with a wound, the deeper the cut the longer it takes to heal. If it's a really deep cut, it's going to take long to heal. But you can still forgive. And then you allow it to heal. You have to start someplace. We saw a beautiful picture of this in Charleston a few years ago when Dylan Roof came into their church, a predominantly black church, and, and executed, killed nine parishioners. And we saw after members of the family of these who are slain offering forgiveness Reverend Anthony Thompson, his wife was killed, and he said to Dylan Roof, to his face, I forgive you, my family forgives you, but you need to repent. You need to confess because you've got a lot of trouble right now. But if you'll give your life to the one who your life means the most to, you're going to be okay. What's striking about this quote is, he's caring more about the person who's, who killed his wife than himself. That is maturity. That's what mature people, Christian people, do. And it is incredibly uncommon to forgive somebody that's hurt us. We don't do that well, naturally. Now, why do we forgive? Well, 
Number one, you've been forgiven. <laughs> the reason I forgive is because I've been forgiven. And if God has forgiven me, I should probably forgive others. The second reason is, He asks us to. If I'm going to follow Him, I need to be obedient to Him. And if He's asking me to forgive, that's what I should do. Thirdly, resentment makes me miserable. I mean, it is like a cancer. It just eats at your soul. Does it do you any good? Fourthly, eventually, you're going to need more forgiveness. So, we allow God to, to take care of it. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. He also said, blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be shown mercy. This is Jesus' expectation for those who follow Him. The second thing is this. Not only do we allow God to handle our problems, but we also allow Him to soothe the wounds. You anoint my head with oil. Now, we, we talked about a couple of weeks ago um, the predators that are, are around that inflict sheep. And we talked about there's snakes and coyotes or, or wolves or whatever, and, and there's um, bear, and there, there are different kinds of things. But in the summer, when they go to the highlands, the thing that bothers them most are flies. Now, you're going to love this. Um, the flies get in their nostrils, lay eggs, and then the larvae start to squirm. Are you feeling it? Are you feeling it? Anybody itching right now? I mean, are you feeling it? And poor little sheep, they don't have fingers. They can't pick. They have hooves. They don't fit. I mean, it's horrible, right? If you got hooves, it's not good. You need to pick. You can't pick. It's a bad deal. And it literally drives them insane. In fact, from what I read, uh, you'll sometimes see sheep beating their heads on the ground to get the larvae, try to, to, to kill that in their, inside their nose. Now, it is incredible to me how little things can, in my life, escalate to big things. Little things, little things, and all of a sudden it becomes a big thing. All right, so I'll give you an example. The other day I was in a hurry... I got in my car, I, I reached, got in my, I got my key, I you know, buckled up, I got my key, and I dropped it. And there is an abyss between your seat and the console where you can drop things. Now, it's not very big, and if you're two, you can get your hand in there. But if you're a man like me, it, it fell. I could see it. It had a fob on it. There's a fob and a little ring and then a key, and I could see it. And, and I wiggled my fingers down to where I could touch the fob. Now, I don't know about you, but man, I, I'm a man of prayer. I touch the fob and I thank Jesus. Thank you. Because it, it's like, now, I, somebody's going to come up after the church and don't do it. Do not do it. You should have gotten a hanger. No. Or, you know, uh, or you're going to say to me, um, all you had to do is get out of the car and pull the seat out and you could reach it. Yes, I know that. Uh, I know what I could have done. That's not what I did. I'm telling you what I did, not what I could have done. You could have you gotten it. I know there's a lot of ways I could have done it. I didn't do it that way. So just keep it to yourself. Anyway, everybody's got an answer after the fact. Okay. So I grabbed the fob and it was like a shaft of life from God shining on my car. So I grabbed the fob and I pulled it and it came off. So now I'm looking at the key 
and I'm about to lose my mind. It's like, oh my gosh, I've got someplace to be, and I can't get the, I can't read. And, and at some point, I reached down there, and then I couldn't even see the key. It got under the console. At this point, I did what every red-blooded American man does when he can't find something. What did I do? I went to get my wife. That's right. Because she knows stuff. And she could figure it out. And I thought, if anybody can figure this out, it's going to be Miriam. So she, uh, she helped me. She said, well, let's slide the seat up. It's like, uh, So uh, uh, we slid the seat up. And I'm thanking Jesus today that we still couldn't get it. It's like, yeah, that don't even work. <laughs> yeah. Great idea, except it didn't work. You know, that's kind of how I feel a little bit about it. Eventually, I had to take the bolts out of the console and raise it up to get to it. But we, we finally, finally got it. Now, it, to me, when I think about that, it's an illustration of how something really little can become something really big if we don't handle it. And seriously, as soon as the fob came off, I thought to myself, dude, all you had to do was get up. But I was buckled in. You know, it's like all I had to do was unbuckle, get out of the car, roll the seat. I mean, really seriously, it was right there. I made much more out of it than I had to. And sometimes things happen in our life and we make much more out of them than we have to. And we need somebody to soothe us. If Miriam did nothing else, she calmed me down. Because I was so frustrated. It was just so frustrating to me. Because this is such a stupid thing. It's such a stupid deal. And I knew I shouldn't have done what I did. And I knew I could have gotten it differently. I knew I could have used the hanger. I knew all that. And what I love about my wife, you know what she didn't say to me? She should use a hanger. She didn't say it. She just said, hey, how about we try this? If, you're, if you haven't met my wife, um, she's the calmest person I've ever met. She's steady. And we need people that are steady in our lives. And when we let Jesus soothe us, we allow his steadying hand to influence our life. The, the, the Bible tells us this. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. See, I've got to trust that God's got this all under control. This situation, this, this relationship that's gone amok. I've got to realize, I've got to believe that God has everything under control. And I'm going to let him handle it. And then I'm going to let him calm me a little bit. And he calms us in different ways. I have a list here. One is through fellowship. Part of the reason to be a part of a church, one of the reasons to be a part of a church, is that I need people in my life that can help me when I get frazzled. I need a calming person or two or three. I need a friend or two. Church, is, church should be a family and, and a, a place where our friends help us. And, and then I, I need to pray. And I, I, Sometimes these things are more than we can handle and you just pray, God help me through this. And then I need to worship. And I don't know if anybody else has ever had this experience, but I bet it's true with some of you. Maybe all of you. It's just been that week. You've had that week, and then you come in to worship. And the songs just say what your heart says. 
what your heart's feeling. Can you believe the musicians we have at our church? I mean, the musicians we have, they're just phenomenal. And you walk in this place and you hear these voices and they're saying the things, they're beautifully singing the things that you're feeling in your spirit. And there's, there's a healing, it's like a salve. And then sometimes he uses you serving others. He helps me realize it's not all about me and I've got to help somebody else and when I'm helping somebody else, the focus is off of me. See, healing happens in two phases. There's the sit still phase and then there's the get going phase. So if I break my arm, uh, and heaven forbid that that happens, but if I break my arm, uh, they're going to put in a cast and I'm going to need to leave it alone for a while. And then eventually they're going to take the cast off and I'm going to have to work back to get those muscles back. That's just how it works. There's a sitting stage and there's a get going stage. And when we're hurt, there's a sitting stage, there's a stage. Sometimes we have to just catch our breath. And then we have to move on. See, I said it a minute ago, the deeper the cut, the longer it takes to heal. But any cut is going to have a scar. When I look at the scar, I can remember the pain or I can remember the one who healed me. I can remember the, the hurt or I can remember the healer. I get to choose that. The third thing is this, and I love this part. When he says my cup overflows. I'm going to illustrate because I brought this stuff with me so I could illustrate. If you've ever been to a place and you didn't know when it was time to leave, this will help you. Or at least this will help you from the Middle Eastern perspective. So it is a um, hospitality culture. So if you come into my town and you don't have a place to stay in, in the in the Near East, what you would do is uh, you would make sure that people felt welcomed. And so, uh, you know, if you there were they were strangers traveling, they didn't travel a lot. But when you had some a stranger come in town, you would host them. Now. If you wanted to know uh, when it was time to leave, this is how it worked in that culture. They would pour you something to drink immediately when you came in into their home. Because it's an arid place, it's dry, they would either pour you water or they would pour you wine. And you would have this drink and you're there and you're, you're, you're engaging in conversation, you're having a good time. And I'm going to pour this back in here. But, but you start to, to drink the drink and you get down a little bit. And if the host comes along and he fills your class back up, you can stay. As long as they filled the glass up, you could stay. That was kind of, the, kind of the protocol, right? But once you got down and you drank and you got finished with this cup, and if it didn't get filled, you know what it meant? Go home. Time for you to go right here. Now, if someone was a special guest, you might not have known them, but now all of a sudden you really like them and you want them to stay, you'd fill their glass up. But if you wanted them to stay, like really stay and to always feel welcome, you'd fill it up until it overflowed. Now, in an arid climate where there wasn't much water, you didn't waste. This was a sacrifice. You were sacrificing. And you were saying, through this gesture, you can always stay. And you're always welcome. And my place is your place. So when 
the psalmist writes, when David writes, my cup overflows, the first people that read this would think this, oh, our shepherd wants to be with us forever. Our shepherd is going to take care of all the details in my life. Our shepherd has us covered. He, he is going to prepare a place for me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, he's going to take care of, of those situations that I can't take care of. And he's going to anoint my head with oil. And like the shepherd would, would mix up this uh, concoction of olive oil and sulfur and put it on the sheep so it would, repel the, it would repel the flies, he's going to anoint my head with oil and he's going to soothe me when I'm uh, distressed. And what he's saying to me here is he wants to always be with me. He wants me to always be with him. We have a relationship that will last forever. It's really cool. Now, what are we overflowing for and to? And, and I love Romans where it says, May the God of hope fill you to overflowing with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you might have some relationships today that are troublesome and you're worried about it. And, and the question has to be, Am I going to let Jesus handle it? Because you don't have to. I don't have to let Jesus prepare the table lands for me, and I don't have to let him uh, anoint my head with oil, and I don't have to accept his invitation to stay for always and to have that relationship. I don't have to accept it. But I'd be foolish not to. You don't have to accept it. But you have to choose. Am I going to let Jesus handle this or not? You have to choose. Father, I thank you for this word and this picture that you've given us today. Lord, I know you love us and we can tell that you love us. And it is really, it comforts us to know that you know every hurt. You know every hurt. And I pray blessings, Lord, on us and everyone in this room because we, we all have problems and we all have difficulties and we all have situations and many of us have struggles with other people. And Lord, help us to apply what we heard today to our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.